You know, um, today we're going to be talking out of Joshua 10, and uh, the first thought I'm going to bring to you is this one, that you have to live a life of courage. And it's easy to say when you're not tested that you need to be courageous. Have you ever noticed that? It's, it's when you're in the middle of a battle, when you're in the middle of a difficult situation, and you're called upon to live a life of courage. And that's going to be the case in Joshua 10, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But um, just a quick report, we, uh, we have a team, they're just coming back, some of them are already back, but uh, from Mexico, building a house in 48 hours. So um, we'll, we'll probably have a highlight film for you next week and talk about that. But um, just to be able to, to do that, and to, I think there were 26 people on that team, and to, to give keys to a family uh, that's homeless and uh, whose, whose wife is suffering from some physical setbacks, to see those little kids and to see the, the loft and everything else and know that uh, for the $18,000 it costs to build that, you paid for that. Your generosity did that. And you think, man, I need to move there. Right? That's like taxes for a year around here. But it's true that, you know, sometimes in the middle of everything you're doing, you have to pause and go, am I doing everything I should be doing? So we think about, when we think about sin, we think about sins of commission. What that means is I do something wrong intentionally. And, and most people don't do that. They don't just make a practice, if you're a believer, just say, I just want to try to do all the wrong stuff I can. What we do is we commit a sin of omission. And that's where I know to do right, but I don't do it. I don't take steps to do the good things that, that society would, would benefit from, what people would benefit from. And I think when we do something like build a house in Mexico, we're not neglecting other things, but we're saying we're not going to neglect that either. And that's just an important part of living out your Christian life is how do I do that? How do I, I haven't done anything wrong. Yeah, but have you done anything right? You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, you'll talk to people and, and there'll be a, a, a tension in a marriage and the husband will always kind of shout the same thing. Well, I'm a good provider. And I always ask him, well, you're a provider of good though. Because see, if you're, if you're the spiritual head of your household, you need to be providing good, not just being a good provider. So while Mexico's going on, tomorrow morning, we have a team leaving for Ukraine. So, you know, if, it's just not enough to go to Mexico. We've got to go into a battle zone. But uh, one of our members is here, over here. Reagan, would you just stand up and wave a little bit, give a... Shout out to Reagan. And uh, we're also sending uh, uh, John Fleetwood, who's down in Nashville. He's our managing editor for the American Faith. And then two other men are going. They'll fly into Romania. And uh, right now we've got, uh, we were able to purchase about $25,000 worth of battle uh, level uh, medicine and supplies uh, for $5,000, and that's going to be air freighted in, and then we've got a shipping container going out, and that's got 40 pallets of dry food, women's clothing, kids' clothing, 
And uh, at the end of this service, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you to financially help us with Ukraine. And you don't, it's not something you have to do because we're gonna do it anyway. But I want you to, to be engaged in something that you know will change somebody's life. And you may never meet them this side of heaven. One of the big needs right now is just simply air mattresses for kids to sleep on because they're sleeping on cold, frozen ground uh, as they're trying. And what somewhere around 4 million people have left that country out of a population of 40 million. Imagine if that would happen in America. And I think that one of the things that, that <clears throat> atheists and people that seem to not love uh, Christianity, they forget about is it's Christians who have made the biggest difference. Every Ivy League school was founded by Christians. Red Cross, Christian. Hospitals, Christians. Have you, have you seen a hospital lately dedicated and built by the atheists? And I say that to make a really good point here. It, there's something inside of us, it's the love of God, the compassion that we find in Christ that says, I want to somehow distribute that and do good in my world, amen? When we come to the life of Joshua, in this book of Joshua, uh, if you remember last week, we talked about the covenant that he made with the Gibeonites. And they tricked him, really. They tricked him into making an agreement with him not to kill him. And they really were the enemy, but they were fearing their life. And what Joshua did, he was a man of integrity. He honored the covenant he made with the Gibeonites. And that covenant, that vow that he made, would not only be true in that time, but it would, it would run itself all through, even into the, the uh, kingdom of King David, when he would honor that, that covenant that was taken, made so far back in history. And it's an important part of life when you think about honoring that which you've said you will do. If you, if you say one thing and do something different, it speaks of your character and your integrity. And no one should have more character, more integrity than Christians. It should never be said, well, I can't believe he's a Christian because of the way he did or what he acted. Hey, we're not perfect, amen? Look at your neighbor and go, you're not perfect. Just look at them. Remind them, amen? Now, some of you are a little less perfect than others, but listen, Amen? So David finds himself in a situation where now the battle is turning toward the Gibeonites. And they cry for help. They say, Joshua, will you help us? Technically, it wasn't his battle, but because of the covenant, it became his battle. And he had to live a life of courage. I want you to, to just kind of sink this into your mind a little bit and say, I'm going to live a life of courage I'm going to do that in my life. I'm going to determine before the problem comes that I'm going to live a courageous life. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs that the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. When your heart is right before God, you have courage. You have boldness. The most comfortable pillow is a good conscience. And if we walk in these things, we're going to, we're going to win battles. We may have losses in the process, but we're going to win battles. Look what it says here in Joshua chapter 10 and verse 6. The men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. 
So this is a plea. This is kind of like what, what we're hearing out of, whether it's Mexico or whether it's out of Romania, Ukraine, we're hearing this, we need help. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered against us. Now imagine that scene. They're saying our situation is hopeless. There's nothing we can do. And by the way, in battle, you always have to practice what Jesus said. You have to be as innocent as a dove and as crafty as a serpent. Now I want you to think about that in battle. Sometimes you have to look at everything from a different angle. You have to say, how can I get this done and yet keep integrity? I'll give you an example. One of the things we're doing in shipping these containers into Romania is we're using a Chinese ship. Because if we don't, the Russians will blow the other ships up. That's crafty as a serpent, innocent as a dove. Do I want to use a Chinese ship? No. Do I want it blown up? No. I'm going to take the Chinese ship. Amen? You see how this works? So always say, how do I guard my heart? How do I make sure everything I do is integritous? How do I make sure that I'm walking faithfully according to the word of God? You see, honor is a choice that you have to make. You know, when you honor someone, when you honor a situation, you're making a, you're making a deliberate decision in your life. I'm going to tell you this, the one thing that you're all, is always going to pay you dividends in your lifetime is when you practice honor. The Bible says, give honor to whom honor is due. And when you begin to walk in that honor, it's amazing what it'll pay back. I had a, a friend that had grown up in a gang, and, and all of his friends literally had died from the gang, every one of them. And he ended up writing a book, All My Friends Are Dead, which is not the most winsome title, but... It was true. And then for years, he traveled with Billy Graham and was one of the associate evangelists with him. And I asked him, I said, Freddie, what is the key that you learned in the gang that was transferable into life in the Christian faith? You know what he said? Loyalty and gratitude. He said the biggest challenge that you have within the church is a lack of loyalty and a lack of gratitude. That's honor. Joshua chapter 10, verses 7 and 10. Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. I want you to notice who Joshua took with him. He took with him, it says, the people of war and the mighty men of valor. In other words, he was very careful in saying, who's going to go up into this battle with me? And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them. Remember, Joshua lived with a fearful spirit. You remember that in chapter one, it told, you know, he said, I'm fearful, I can't do this. And he says, I will be with you as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. Now, some of you have a more courageous spirit than others. You're just kind of born that way. And some of you are fighting it all the time. If, if you're fighting it all the time, that, that is fear, then you can identify with Joshua because that's what he did. He's constantly going back to this, and God's constantly saying, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. Why would he keep telling that? Because Joshua is fearful. And see, if you kind of know your temperament, you know your strengths, your weaknesses, you know how you operate, then what you do is you say, I'm going to put into my life the things that are going to strengthen my weaknesses. And if fear is one of them, then you understand that. Also understand that fear is a spirit. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love 
of power, and here's the next one, and a sound mind. You see, your mind can't be sound if you're aimed in the direction apart from God. You want your mind transformed by the renewing power of the Spirit of God. He said, do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Now, the battle hadn't even began, but God said, I've already given you the victory. You know, that's what it is to walk in Christ. You have the victory before the battle comes. Now you just have to, in the middle of battle, draw on the resources that God has provided. What is that? The Word of God, the Spirit of God, the fellowship of believers, your past, you draw from your past. God was faithful yesterday. God will be faithful today. All of those things are an important part of it. And then he says, Joshua therefore came up upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon. Now, now look at the scene here. Joshua, I know you're afraid. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. The battle's already yours. You've already victorious. You see, what, what Joshua did, he aligned himself with the right people. If you don't align yourself with the right people in your life, you're going to suffer defeat. Some people are just experts at finding the wrong people to hang out with. Have you ever noticed that? I go, what's going on here? I don't know. You know, it just looked like it was going to be a good idea. But it, and then it turned out to not be a good idea. I remember I, I'd gotten saved in college, and I was preaching, and my good friend was a guy named Jim. And uh, Jim was like the guy, if you hung out with Jim, you're going to get in trouble. Do anybody remember that guy? But Jim was like slick as oil. He never got in trouble. I got in trouble. So anyway, I was up preaching, and Jim came to hear me, and his mom came. And she came up to me after I got done preaching. She said, shook her head. She said, well, you've come a long way. I remember when I forbid uh, Jim from hanging out with you. And I thought, I'm not going to tell her. <laughs> Jim was the instigator in everything, honestly. But that's okay. I said, yeah, thank you so much, Mr. Shockley. I appreciate that. And, you know, God's been good. Amen. Um, but in this process, what you have to do is fear is going to come to every one of us, right? On different levels. And, you know, sometimes you don't admit the fear. You know, you just kind of, it's there, but you're acting like it's cool. You ever done that? I have. I mean, I've done that most of my life. But what I have to do is I have to ignore fear. You have to ignore it. Because if you embrace it and you lock arms with it, it's going to take you down the wrong path. So you have to ignore and say, yeah, are you fearful? Yes, but I'm ignoring that. I'm going to go into the courage world instead. And that's just how you have to operate. And then make room for God to work in your battle. Sometimes we fight all our battles ourselves, and then when it's finally, you know, we God, I don't think I can win this battle, then we go, now I'm going to call on the Lord. Start with the Lord. You know, how many times have you called up your friend and you said, I don't know what I'm going to do? Right? And you, then you name the crisis. I don't know what I'm going to do. And your friend gives you decent advice, maybe great advice, but then what do you do? You call the next friend. What am I going to do? You're trying to get averages here of, you know, good news. You know, if I just get enough of them here, maybe I'll be okay. But what you're really doing is you're bypassing the answer. You see, the Bible is your script. The Bible is your owner's manual. What does it say about your situation? 
You say, well, I don't know the Bible that well. Then start reading. I promise you, God, the Holy Spirit, will show you something in the journey of reading the Word of God. Google search all the words, all the times fear not is used in Scripture. And then strengthen yourself with that. See, here's what I believe. I, I've spent many of my younger years memorizing Scripture. And what happens is when a situation demands a certain Scripture, Holy Spirit will pull it out of my memory, and it wasn't even in my conscious memory. Because he had a resource he could draw from. You see, the problem comes when you don't have any resource inside your heart, in your mind, in your spirit that the Holy Spirit can draw from. You go like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And then someone will say, what about this verse? Oh, that's a great verse. Where is that? You wanna be so equipped that you can draw from the word of God in your heart. And some people say, well, I'm not good at memorizing things. That's fine. Repetition will bring it to your heart and will seal it in your spirit. Just keep reading the word of God over and over and over again. I read a chapter of Proverbs every day, corresponding with the day of the month. I've never tried to memorize any of the Proverbs, but I probably have 2,000 of them memorized simply by reading it over and over again. I can't tell you the address. I don't know where it's found. Say, where's that verse? I don't know. It's in there. Amen? See, it's not important that I know. It's just important that I can find that in my heart, in my spirit. I can always find the reference if I need to. But God will take those things, and he'll start to just use it in your life. Take a subject you like and say, what is my greatest need in my life to know? And take that scripture and begin to just read it and memorize it and pour over it and over it. And just, you don't have to, you know, people say, well, I want to read the whole Bible through in a year. Well, that's fine. But sometimes as you're reading it so quick, you never slow down enough to see what it actually says. If you want to do that, I think that's great. But why not say, I'm going to pick three or four great scriptures and passages. I'm going to just read them and pour over them. I'm going to let those soak into my soul. And then I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit, keep a tablet next to you and write down what he's saying to you along the way. I'm going to let those sink into my heart. Now, like a lot of people say, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I don't have a job or I'm out of money or whatever. Then I would start memorizing scriptures on prosperity. See, prosperity is different from success. It's different from wealth. Prosperity is having all your needs met and having a margin to help others. That's biblical prosperity. You might be rich financially. You might be poor, but you can be prosperous either way. It's the way you look at life. You see, greed is, is, is really not, has anything to do with how much money you have or don't have or how much you give away. It has to do with your attitude toward money. If you have a good attitude toward money, you just go like, it's just, it's just a tool. And if we run out, Biden will print some more for us. So we're all good. Here's a second thought. Ask God for the impossible. We ask God for little things all the time. Why not ask God for something really big? It doesn't take any more time to ask for a big thing than a small thing. It doesn't take any more time to ask for the impossible than the possible. Why not move in the realm of the impossible where you say, God, if you don't come through, I don't know what I'm going to do. God, I'm trusting you for this. I'm believing you for this. And if you're praying the wrong thing, God will correct you in the process. He'll show you what's wrong. But say, God, I want to see, see you do the impossible. 
I mean, the people we've seen healed in this house, the miracles we've seen, uh, people that have gotten pregnant have been praying many, many years. Um, you know, some of them, they've tried to find their prayer request and pulled out of the wall. They've already got six kids. Or I'm done. <laughs> they call it the fertility wall now, not the prayer wall. But you see, what happens is you want to say, what would, what would just be so great if God could do this? And ask God to do the impossible. Ask God for the impossible. Look at Joshua chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Now, let me set up the story before we get there. So what's happening, they're in the battle. You see, Joshua didn't say, God, go fight all my battles for me. He said, let me have the honor and the privilege of being in the battle with you. Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel. Now, all of a sudden, the battle is getting late. The sun is going down. They don't fight at night in that day. And he prays. Look what he says. Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. You say, you think I really have them? I think that's poetic. I don't know. University of Cambridge says they know the date. Say it was 1195 B.C. They can tell you when it actually happened. So they're at least foolish enough to believe it actually happened. Whether you can prove it or not is not the point. The point is, do you believe that God would listen to your prayers? God will answer your prayers. Do you know that, that God works according to your prayers, and if you don't pray, you're just, he's not just gonna do what he's gonna do anyway. There's a sovereign, big-picture plan of God, but inside of that big picture, there's these, there's these little alleyways that God says, if you will pray and get on that alley, on that highway, on that road, on that route, I'm gonna bless you beyond measure, but I'm gonna do it according to prayer. Because if all prayer does is therapeutic, then all the promises in the word of God are wrong because it says by prayer, with supplication, with your, with, let your request be made known unto God. And what? Peace of God will surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Prayer is effective. You see, faith is meant to stretch you beyond your comfort zone. If your faith is comfortable and you don't really care if that prayer gets answered, then you're probably not in faith. Ouch. It's true. Have you ever been on the edge of disaster and you say, God, if you don't come through, I'm done? Sure you have. You've had those moments. You see, you have to, you have to position yourself for a miracle. Position yourself. So what does that mean? That means get on the edge. You ever got on the edge? One more step and I'm done? I love the exhilaration of potential failure in faith. Did you hear me? I love that feeling like, God, this is a big one. I don't know if you're going to do this one. God, how's this going to work? And then God says, let me show you. Once you just get out of the way, Phil, I can do some great stuff. But you got to get out of your comfort zone of living your faith the way you live it. You see, don't limit what God can do in your situation. I don't know if God would do this. Try it. I mean, it's pretty bold to say, son, stop here. 
My son Josh was, uh, uh, has a contract with HP Israel, and he flew over to Israel, and he met with a, a Jewish guy that was uh, uh, one of the head uh, guys in that department in, in uh, Tel Aviv. And when he got there, he knew Josh was a Christian, and, and this guy was Jewish, but not a religious Jew. He was a secular Jew, so he didn't believe in God at all. And he knew Josh rode uh, dirt bikes, and so he, when he got there, he said, hey, Josh, I'm going to take you up to the place where this scripture happened, where the sun stood still, and we're going to bike up there. So they rode their bikes up there, and they sat down, and it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Until the sun went down, Joshua got to t- uh, my Josh got to talk to him about the story in Joshua and the faith of God. You see, God take opportunities, and, and when you're just faithful, to allow God work in your life and to speak into people. So what's the third thing? Third thing is redeem the time. You know, people, how many people have any extra time right now? Not many. Have you heard this lately? Man, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm busier than I've ever been. I don't have time to get that done. Have you ever heard that? And yet you have as much time as anybody else on planet Earth. You have as much time as Warren Buffett, and yet somehow he gets a lot done in his 90s. I hear people talk about how busy they are. You know, I got, I'm in college. I've got all these tests. I said, I know. You and 8 million other people in California alone are in college. They get it done. I really think there's the key is when you announce I don't have time, I believe you diminish the time that you have. Because you're speaking against your life. Sometimes we say, I don't have time, I'm so busy, because we're wanting to beat our chest and validate who we are as a human being. That's not a validation. That's a mismanagement statement. My life is so mismanaged, I don't have time to get everything done what I want to do. Well, I got like five companies I'm running. Well, you should probably run one. I know, I got to meddling now, right? Amen? (laughs) Redeem the time. Okay, I've got this much time. What am I going to do with this time? How do I balance all of these things together in my life? Joshua chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. The sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and it did not hasten to go down for a whole day, and there has been no day like that before it or after it. Now look at this next part. And the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. How'd you like God to go, I'm heeding your voice. I'm listening to your voice. You know, I think we all know this. Time is a gift from God. You don't know how many days you have. You know, you might live to be 60, 70, 100, 121. That's my goal. I want to live long enough to be just miserable to everybody around me. But time is a gift. God says, here's a gift. How will you use it? I met a guy named Samuel Howells. His father had founded the Bible College of Wales, very famous revival Bible college. And Samuel was in his 90s. And we drove over there. We were living in Oxford at the time. We drove over to Wales, to Swansea. And uh, it was my wife and, and, and Jen and I. And uh, we drove over there. I knocked on the door, and I just figured Samuel was had gone on to be with the Lord because I knew he was in his 90s. Knocked on the door, and his assistant, Ruth, answered. 
And I said, uh, I'd, I'd like to see the Bible College of Wales. I, I wish I could have got here and met Samuel. She said, oh, he's very much alive. And I said, well, would it be possible for me to meet him and talk to him? She said, well, he's giving an audience before the king. Meaning he was in prayer. And I said, well, can he be disturbed or when will he be done? Well, he prays 11 hours a day. I'll see. We went into the little parlor there. Samuel came down dressed in a suit, black suit, tie, white shirt. And he said, he said, I pray so long every day because at my age, it's the most effective thing I can do with my time. When the hour was up, he left. He said, Ruth will be able to answer any other questions you have. I must go back before the king. See, how strategic are you with your prayer, with your witnessing, with your work, with your family, with your life? You have to be strategic. You have to redeem the time. And then ask God to multiply your future. See, if you're faithful with what you have, with the little things, God can multiply your time, your money, and all those opportunities that you need. You see, the, the, the rule of the kingdom is never like, you know, 2%, 3%. It's always tenfold, 20-fold, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. God, does, God doesn't like addition. He loves multiplication. God, I want you to multiply my life. I want you to multiply my opportunity. I want you to multiply my righteousness. I want you to multiply, multiply my life in all things. Amen? And see what God can do with your life. Mark this day and say, today, from this day forward, I'm going to redeem the time. I'm going to seek God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength. I'm going to live a courageous life for God. Just write it down somewhere and say, this is going to be a day where I'm going to be different. Now, even if you're 5% different, that's huge. Do you realize that? I'm not talking about you're going from, you know, the genius tomorrow that you weren't today. I'm talking about... If I just gradually increase my impact in the world today and my dedication to God, God's going to multiply that, and I'm going to have an amazing outpouring of prosperity and joy and power in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's stand together, and I want to pray with you and for you, and I want you to, to really take a moment here. And I want, this to, uh, I, want, I want a couple of things to really sink in your heart right now. I want you to just get very specific with your life. Ask the Holy Spirit right now something like this. Holy Spirit, will you show me the one thing that I need to know or do because of this message today? What needs to change in my life? How can I be different? Do I need to redeem the time? Do I need to ask you for the impossible? Do I need to live a courageous life? What do I need to do to move to that next level of walking with God? Now just listen. Don't get in a hurry about thinking about what you're gonna do the rest of the day. Just listen. What is the Spirit of God saying to you? It'll come like a little urging in your heart or your mind. It may come like a voice that's loud in your spirit. But just what does he want you to do? Now do that thing. Do that thing. Whatever that is, just be obedient to the Holy Spirit and let him guide your life. Amen? Amen?